morning, everybody. Luke chapter 15 from verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together, together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But... While he was still, on his, uh, still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sin sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, before we get started, let's uh, just open in a word of prayer as we do look at this passage that is quite interesting. Uh, but let's start. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to climb into your word and in one sense to, to eat of your word and to digest it and contemplate it and weigh it up and ultimately, Lord, may it bring about a better understanding of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and who we serve. And Lord, we thank you for your word that it does that for us today. That though we are so far, 2,000 odd years down the line, we are still able to learn truths that are so rich, so life-giving about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So Lord, we pray that you be with us as we work through this passage, as we think about it, as we weigh it up in our heads and in our hearts. Uh, may they truly permeate into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was saying to Sean Kelly early on, uh, maybe I should just come up and say there's many sermon, sermons out there on this prodigal son passage, so I'll go and sit again and you can go and find anyone that you want to listen to. It's a common passage, we've heard it. Uh, I can guarantee most of you have either heard a sermon on it or you have been taught it in Sunday school at some point. Uh, I remember Sunday school particularly, um, and as I worked through it this week, I was perplexed. Uh, I, what I was taught as a child and what I had to work through this week is far different. And that's the beauty of God's Word. Uh, sometimes we are taught a thing and we learn a thing or we hear a thing, and as we dig deeper and deeper and deeper into His Word, it comes to life. And it bears such remarkable truths that we can carry with us. Well, as we start this morning... Um, I want to highlight a few things for us. There is, in the section, there are three parables unfolding. <clears throat> As we read, there's the lost sheep, there is the lost coin, and then there's this passage that we call the prodigal son. Uh, in my case, it says the parable of the prodigal son. Some say the lost son, depends on however your Bible has decided to phrase it. But hopefully this morning we see something deeper than just one son that is wayward and wasteful in his wealth. The first two stories, what I, the first two parables that I want us to pick up on is the lost sheep. There's this man, he notices that one of his sheep has gone astray and he leaves his sheep, his 99 other sheep, and he runs off to go and find this one lost sheep. And he finds it and with great rejoicing he returns and he has a celebration as he comes home. He calls all those around him, his neighbors, his friends, and they celebrate. <clears throat> we might struggle to understand that. Uh, we're not all shepherds here. But it's important to know that for him, this person that is looking after these sheep, it is his well-being. It is his, his capital. 
And so for him to go out and find it again is to go and find maybe a month, two, three, four months worth of salary. So you have to go. You can't just leave it. None of you would give up a paycheck without trying to find out where that paycheck is if you haven't gotten paid. Uh, The same case with the lost coin. In this case, it is a woman that has lost a coin that's to the value of a day's wage. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it is of monetary value. It's important to her that she finds it because perhaps that's what she needs to buy her bread. We're not told the details of that. But understand, it is something of value. And she doesn't give up until she finds this coin, one of ten. And she finds it, and she has a great celebration. Well, she celebrates with those around her, her friends and neighbors. It's a peculiar kind of story. We kind of think it through. Generally, when we find something, we silently put it in our pocket or whatever it is, and we don't tell anybody, and we're happy we got it back. Uh, But in this case, there is great celebration. Um, Maybe some of you have had great celebrations. Maybe a loved one has gone overseas for an extended period of time. And when they came back, all the family wants to come together, see them again, and we celebrate. Yes? Sometimes we do celebrate things, and generally the things that we celebrate is the things that we value most. So you value something, and you celebrate it when you find it again. And this is the context of those two passages. But notice the two things that come up. Jesus explains a little bit further about what these are about. Both cases there is great rejoicing. Uh, The man that finds his sheep and the woman that finds a coin, there is rejoicing. Understand that. She is filled and he is filled to the brim and he rejoices. It is good news. He has found what was lost. She has found what was lost. And they rejoice. The next thing, Jesus explains it a little bit further, and he says the rejoicing that he's talking about there goes further and deeper because he's using it to paint a picture of heaven rejoicing over a sinner who repents. So these parables aren't just pretty pictures of something that's lost and not found, but it is essentially about a person that is lost and is found And that is rejoicing over sinners who repent. Over sinners who repent. And what's more profound as well is that it's not just a once-off repent. I don't think we must see it as that. Uh, The kind of word that Jesus is using there is for a continuing repentance. It's a repentance that keeps going. And so there is rejoicing in that. There is rejoicing for a heart that is continually coming to God, continually turning to God. That's where the rejoicing is lying. And then we get to this passage in verse 11, which we see as the prodigal son. And just to give some context, maybe you don't know what the word prodigal means. I didn't. Um, I just assumed I always knew, so I decided to look it up and figure out properly what it meant. Prodigal means wasteful. It is someone that has money and wastes it, just spends it without thinking properly. Another word that you can also get from that is lavish. So there's this negative side, this absolute wasteful aspect to it, 
And there's another side which is lavish. It means you, you, your heart is so filled to the point that you just have to cover people with whatever it is, whether it is to bless them with something, but you do it out of a good heart. There's this lavish aspect to it as well. And so what I've done there in our outline, if you can look there, it says uh, the prodigal son I've drawn a line through, and there's reason for that. I want us to look rather at the two sons, uh, and I've called them the lost sons. Uh, each in their own regard has an aspect of being lost, and it is a sad story for both of them, uh, but we'll hopefully understand as we keep going. Before I read those two sections for us, what I want to draw our attention to is verses 1 and 2. As you can see there, I've put them in the top of your outline. The, the significance of what Luke has done here is he's given us the key to understand what this parable is really about. And I'm going to give you the key up front because that's what Luke does for us. So I'm not going to be mean and keep you on till the very end and then try and explain. I'm going to give you the key. And think about it as we work through it. So Luke 15 verse 1 and 2 says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Keep that in mind as we look at this parable that now lies ahead of us. I'm going to read verse 11 for us, if you can turn there. And it says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his, fa- to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field, uh, into his fields, to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, "How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger." I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. This is often the part of the prodigal son that we are drawn to, and we kind of stop there. 
You know, what we see here is a son who goes to his father, essentially, and he says, Father, you're not dead, but give me my portion of what you're worth. And it's a bold thing for someone to say. And I don't think many of us would consider doing that. It doesn't matter what era we live in, it doesn't matter what age, but to go up to a parent and say, give me my inheritance that I should only get when you're dead. That's an incredibly bold thing to do. Here the son is so focused on getting his portion. He wants his share and he wants to go and live life while he's young. He doesn't care if his father is alive or dead. He wants to live his life. And so I've put there, the first son is marked by selfishness. He's absolutely driven by his own desire to be his own person, to do his own thing, to run out into the world and be who he wants to be. And so this is where that title comes from, this prodigal son, because he takes this wealth and he doesn't know how to use it properly. He just wastes it, absolutely wastes it. I mean, who of us here can say that you knew how to use your money really wisely when you were young? And we've probably done some silly things along the way where we actually look back and go, man, that was really wasteful looking back in hindsight. And this son was to the extreme. So much so that he ran into poverty far quicker than I can guarantee he expected. So much so that he was looking at the food of the pigs and longing for that. I kind of have this other image, and we don't have pig farms around here, but imagine you go and visit some friends of yours, and they've got dogs, and you're kind of looking at that dog food going, hmm, that looks good. And that's the extent of it. He's looking at food that is intended for animals, and he's longing for that because he's got nothing, because he's wasted what he had. And this is shocking. This is shocking. Not only that, but his father's still alive. And he's already wasted the inheritance that his father should have given him only when he died. So the first thing that I want us to think about while we're looking at the son is perhaps we fall in that category. <clears throat> perhaps we fall into this category of thinking, I want to live my life my own way. I'm young, I've got some time, let's just live life. Let's enjoy it. You know what, God's word says a couple of really important things, but I just want to live my way. Maybe you've done that before in the past. Maybe you've lived that way, where you're just striving after your own success, your own gain. Whatever's profitable to you, that's what you were going for. It's a life of selfishness. Life that is driven by personal gain. You see, we, got a, <clears throat> we have a second son in the story. And we kind of forget about him because we think this first son is so terrible. And when he comes back, there's this amazing image. And it is an amazing image that as the son returns, that the father welcomes him in. But unfortunately, we often overlook the second son in the story. Let's read. It says 25. Now his, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, 
what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The second son is marked by something so similar but so different in the same breath. He was marked by self-righteousness. Do you see that? He says to his father, I've obeyed you. I've done everything that I could possibly do to keep you happy. And what do you do in return? You invite your son that has already taken his portion. You invite him back. You clothe him with a robe, with rings, with sandals. And then you kill the fattened calf for him. And there's absolute disgust in the tone of the son's voice because he's saying, I've done everything right for you. And you're not doing anything for me. The oldest son is a different kind of lost son. He's lost in the sense that though he is staying in the same home, he fails to see the father that he has. I've just put there below. It says, waste can also be something of significance that goes unnoticed. To be prodigal of something that you have it can be when, you go, when it goes unnoticed. And I was thinking of an example this morning. And I was saying to Zan, it's like putting something, you go to the shops and you put something in the fridge that you plan on eating. You put it in the fridge and you wander off for about a month and you come back and you realize that it was actually in the fridge the whole time. And when you haul it out, it's got, like, it's got tentacles crawling out of it. And it's gone to waste. But you had it the whole time. Another example is like, Scripture that says, like casting pills among the pigs. Unfortunately, in this case, it can be like that, where this father has been lavishing the son the whole time, but it is as good as throwing pills amongst pigs. They don't even notice it. And as this story unfolds with the second son, it reveals his heart. And that he is actually going about living for himself as well. But to be self-righteous. So that he has the right strings to pull with his father. To say, I've obeyed you, so I deserve something. You see, I, I didn't ask for your portion, the inheritance that is due to me. I didn't do that. I, I served you. I did everything I could for you. But at the end of the day, he still felt entitled that that's what he should get. 
He deserves his cut. So when we look at both of these sons, the one is staying in the father's presence and the other one runs off and does his own thing. But both are looking at the father and what the father is giving them, what they can get from the father. And as long as they play their cards right, they will get what they can get out of this father. And what they're failing to see is the immense amount of love that the father has for them. You see, when the first son asks for his inheritance, the father doesn't object, but he gives. And when the second son gets upset about this first son that's now come home and taking possession of things again, the father says, come. You're standing outside, but there's a party inside. Come in. Do you really want to stand outside? But the second son with his self-righteousness is in the way of joining in with the celebration that's inside. And he's unable to see the joy that there is. His brother's returned. And it's most likely that the second son couldn't see the joy in it because he realized, well, my father has re-adopted my brother and that means my share is cut once more. Because that's what would happen. He would get less if his brother came home. And he's still thinking about himself. And so you have these two lost brothers striving after their own gain, striving after what they desire, rather than recognizing their father who's trying to love them, trying to care for them, trying to look out for them, trying to do his best. But they're so inwardly focused. You see, so it's such an incredible contrast of these two sons. You have this one son that runs off and is wasteful, but he comes back and the father doesn't even want to hear the story of, you know, I did wrong and I don't want to be your son, but, but I'll be your servant. And he says, come in, you're my son again. And the other one's standing outside, going, oh, my brother's back and he's taking all my shares. He's a, he fails to see. And so that's why I asked us, I said we need to read verse 1 and 2. Look at it again. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Here's Jesus telling the story. And just before he tells it, these, these tax collectors, these sinners, these people that Jesus is spending time with, eating with, celebrating with, and they are coming to Jesus, and he is inviting them in. He's sitting down to have an intimate meal with them. And then in verse 2, you see the other brother. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Do you see the incredible image that Jesus is painting here? And as he's sharing this parable, he's talking about this group of people that is standing in front of him. And he's saying, some of you I am inviting. I'm, I'm inviting all of you, but some of you are coming to me now. And I'm going to receive you. I'm going to open my arms and I'm going to lavish you. I am going to lavish you with who I am. And there's the other standing right in his presence, grumbling, because there's the sinners and the tax collectors in their presence. 
And so this whole parable kind of unfolds these two stories. It's this contrast, this tension between these wasteful sons, wasting what the father is actually trying to give them, and this incredibly lavishing father who's just trying to love them, spread out his love and his goodness to them. And so this leaves us at a point where we have to come and reflect on ourselves. <clears throat> because we fit into this, into the story. And I want us to think about this for a moment. Which son are you? Or which person are you, for that matter? Are you the one that runs off with whatever you can get and live your life and do your thing? Are you still there, perhaps? Are you still trying to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve in this world? Are you living for your own personal gain? Are you trying to attain something? Or maybe you're at the point where you're looking around you and you're realizing that this world doesn't have anything to offer you. And that the more you try and live for yourself, the drier, the more barren this world becomes with what it can truly offer you. Maybe you are getting to a point where you're starting to, something is missing and you're becoming hungry for something deeper, something richer, something that the world cannot offer you. Maybe you're at the point that you're running back. You're running back with a story that you're going to tell God. You're going to say, God, I realize now I've, I've made a horrible mistake. Maybe you're there. Or maybe you, you're on the verge of falling to your feet before him. And what a wonderful place to be. Are oh, you maybe the first son running after selfish things? Or maybe you're the second son. Maybe you've been in the church for a long time. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you're sitting here going, oh, I've ticked the boxes. I, did, I prayed the prayer. I've been to church regularly enough. I've, I've done everything I can. I'm sure God, I, I, I'm, I'm sure God will will be okay with me. Don't be too quick to think yourself better than you are. Because that can often exclude us. We can be sitting in the same room excluding ourselves from the incredible gift that God has offered us. Which person are you? Maybe you are struggling between these two characters. I know that's often where I am. Certain areas in my life I'm running after my own things. And other areas in my life I'm standing looking and I'm going, if I, had, if I could just do something more, then God would recognize me. But it doesn't quite work like that. Because both sons have got an invitation to come in. And to celebrate with this father. To have a feast with this father. It's not an exclusive invite. You're the one that makes it exclusive. You're the one that excludes yourself. 
in the sense that you can either stand outside grumbling or you can keep as far away from God as you want. But the reality is there is a celebration that is taking place. And either you're in or you're out. There is a door that is open. And that door is Jesus Christ. And as that door stands open, we have an opportunity to step in and be part of that celebration. And when the time has run out, that door shuts, the music is cranked up, and nobody can hear what's happening outside. Where do you want to be? It is an incredible celebration. It's a celebration that makes us uncomfortable as well. It is a celebration over sinners repenting. It is a celebration of you giving up who you think you are. Giving it up to God. Serving Him. Loving Him. And receiving His love that He has given us through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one that has come to fetch the lost son. Jesus Christ is the one that ultimately is inviting everybody in. And as he tells this parable, he is the one inviting the sinner, the tax collector, the Pharisees and the scribes, you and me, in. Because that is the only way through Jesus Christ that we can celebrate. That we can find forgiveness for our sins. I've left one last quote there on the bottom of your page. <clears throat> and Tim Keller, he sums it up so wonderfully. He says, Jesus is showing us the God of great expenditure who is nothing if not prodigal toward us, his children. He is lavishing us. He is lavishing us with his love, with his goodness, with his grace, with his mercy. So are you still reciting your lines and what, you're gonna plan, what you plan on saying to God and trying to figure out how you're going to get around what you've done wrong? Or are you coming to him and extending, opening your arms for his embrace? as he embraced the one son? Or are you going to stand outside grumbling like the older son until you realize that you can't stay here any longer and you need to go inside? So I leave that with you. Weigh it up. Where are you sitting? And once you figure that out, realize that the door is open. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. As long as today is today, enter. Enter into Christ, into his love, into all that he is wanting to lavish you with. Don't hesitate. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus Christ, that you sent him to open a way for us, 
to enter into an incredible feast with you, Lord. Lord, we, we are all on our own paths, struggling with different things, working through things, being challenged by things. But Lord, help us recognize where we are. Help us recognize the type of life that we are living so that we can come to Jesus Christ and stop lying to ourselves where we think we are better than we really are or that we're not that selfish, Lord. We need to be exposed of who we are so that we can come to our knees before you and so that we can receive what you have given us. So, Lord, yes, forgive us. Forgive us because we are wayward. We are prodigal in so many areas of our life, whether it is in our active lives or passive lives, whether it is whether we are holding on to things and not using them in the right way or whether it is the truth that you have given us that we are not wanting to hear yet. Lord, I pray that you open our ears, open our hearts to minister to us. Lord, may we be filled with your goodness and your truth that you are able then to transform our lives by the power of your Spirit. That we become more and more like you in all areas of our lives. Lord, may we not choose what area of our lives we want to hold on to, but may we surrender all, all of who we are unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.